Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Iowa and America's heartland is known for its easy way of living, farming, and speed traps. It's a place where people tend to mine their crops and their own business. But of course, like any other place... As its share of strange mysteries, many of which hit the cold case drawer, likely to never be solved. On today's list, we're checking out some of the strangest cases you'll ever find in the state. Here are five odd and unsolved mysteries from Iowa. Number five, the Van Meter Monster. Back in the fall of 1903, the unassuming town of Van Meter, Iowa became the backdrop for a series of very strange encounters with a creature described as a half-bat, half-human. It terrified the community as the town's respectable citizens suddenly were thrust into the heart of a mystery that defied any logical explanation. It started with sightings that were so bizarre they seemed impossible, but why would the people there just make up a strange story when they knew they would face ridicule? The answer is, because it probably happened. This monster was large. It was the size of a person, except it bore the wings of a bat. It purportedly emitted an intense, foul odor, and its speed was unprecedented. A blur in the night sky whenever it took to the air. But most unnerving of all was the blinding light that emanated from a horn-like protrusion on its head. All those who believed in a heaven figure that this must be some sort of demon from hell. Eugene Griffith, a tractor dealer, was the first to encounter this apparition. His shots ringing out into the night as the creature darted across rooftops, seemingly impervious to the gunfire. The following night saw the town's doctor and a bank cashier named Peter Dunn come face to face with this terror. Both their efforts to harm the creature were as fruitless as Griffith's. As word around town began to spread, the creature's audacity seemed to grow. O.V. White, a reputed marksman, was searching for the monster when, perching atop a telephone pole one night, he raised his gun at it. However, his shots, like those before him, did little but stir the creature. Sidney Gregg, a local businessman, described its movements as akin to a kangaroo an unsettling comparison that only deepened the mystery. Even the local high school teacher wasn't spared, witnessing this enigma and labeling it a relic from a bygone era, that maybe it was a dinosaur of some sort. Van Meter, 
once a town like any other, now found itself at the edge of a chilling folklore story, its residents armed and ready to confront this unknown adversary. Their pursuit led them to the old brickyard near an abandoned coal mine. The night air was filled with sounds so hellish it was likened to the devil and his minions emerging for a battle. And it was here that the townsfolk faced not one but two of these creatures, a smaller version accompanying the original. A barrage of gunfire greeted them, and yet it did nothing. Creatures retreated into the depths of the old mine, and then they were never seen again. The tale of the Van Meter visitor, as it would come to be known, lingered in the collective memory of the town. A century later, Chad Lewis, a researcher of odd legends, would rekindle this almost forgotten story, delving into the depths of rural Iowa's history and lore. His findings highlighted the stark contrast between the superstitions of the early 20th century and the burgeoning interest in the paranormal and cryptids in modern times. Lewis, in his pursuit of the truth, encountered the diverse opinions of Van Meter's residents, but some recalling the events they had heard about with a mix of skepticism and belief. The authenticity of the sightings, backed by the reputations of the witnesses, though, added a layer of credibility to an otherwise fantastical tale. Jolena Walker, the local librarian, aided Lewis in his quest, uncovering how the legend had withstood the test of time, surviving in the town's centennial book. But the Van Meter visitor, a term coined by Lewis in an attempt to strip away any preconceived notions of malevolence, still remains a mystery. Was it a creature of this world, perhaps not native to Iowa, which scared the townsfolk? If that's the case, then what kind of animal is that? Or did perhaps they actually encounter something far more sinister? Walker's own experience near the old plant showed her belief in it, her encounter marked by a sudden sense of foreboding and an inexplicable difficulty in maneuvering her vehicle only reiterated to her that there was something tangible to this legend, even today. Lewis's journey through Van Meter brought forth stories of ghosts, river serpents, and other strange occurrences, ending at a convergence of energies unique to the area. Zora Zimmerman, a folklore expert, provided insight into the life cycle of legends, suggesting that the Van Meter visitor's tale began with real, albeit unexplainable, eyewitness accounts. In the end, the truth behind the Van Meter visitor remained shrouded in mystery. Its legacy, a blend of fear, curiosity, and intrigue persists, letting us all know that there are some things in this world that we simply don't understand and can't explain. Number 4 Missing TV Anchorwoman Jody Hoosen Truitt, a 27-year-old news anchor for KIMT-TV, was known for her vibrant presence on screen. Her life off-air was just as colorful, though not all hues of that were known to the public. On June 27, 1995, in the city of Mason City, Iowa, Jody failed to show up to work at 4 a.m. in order to get ready for her morning segment, a rarity for someone as dedicated as her. Concerned, a colleague called her home and she picked up saying she had overslept but would rush in shortly. But hours passed and still 
There was no sign of Jody at the studio. Eventually, a co-worker headed over to her apartment, and there outside were the hallmark signs that a struggle of some sort had ensued. Outside her home, police found a scattering of her belongings. A red shoe, a bent key, silent witnesses to the turmoil that had taken place. Neighbors' testimonies of hearing screams only added to the grim scenario. People were interviewed and suspects questioned, but all were eventually cleared, and that was sort of it. Slowly, it died down and turned into another cold case file on Iowa's books. But a man named Steve Ridge, a cold case sleuth with years of looking into Jody's case under his belt, unearthed it a startling piece of this puzzle. Just ten days before her disappearance, Jody had engaged in what he termed a secret final fling with a man, a mystery lover whose identity remained shrouded. This revelation was not just a mere footnote in Jody's life, it was a crucial element in understanding the events leading up to her vanishing. The private investigator's relentless pursuit led him to this unidentified man, a figure once pegged as a person of interest by the police, but later cleared. Ridge's interactions with him painted a picture of a whirlwind romance, born in a local bar and rapidly intensifying over phone calls initiated mostly by Jody. Their connection was strong and intense, so much so that Ridge was convinced it played a central role in the tragic turn of events. Just five days before she went missing, Jody and her new love interest spent an evening on his back deck overlooking a serene lake with drinks in hand. It was a scene of budding romance, yet unbeknownst to them, it may have also been a catalyst for ensuing tragedy. Ridge's theory pointed to jealousy as a driving force. Jody's charm and charisma had earned her many admirers, and this sudden, passionate affair might have ignited a fatal spark of envy from somebody who was watching from the outside. Ridge divulged these harrowing details, some of which were only known to law enforcement up until recently. His conviction was unwavering, and jealousy was at the heart of Jody's disappearance, a sentiment echoed by the mysterious lover. As the years have passed, the echoes of this unsolved mystery continue to resonate through the streets of Mason City. The man from Jody's final days, the scattered belongings, the screams both heard by neighbors and likely unheard, they all point to something sinister happening. Jody, who's in Truett, was declared legally dead in May of 2001, but what happened to her exactly and who did it is something many people in Iowa want answers to. Number 3. The Enigma of John Albert Rose The narrative of John Albert Rose isn't one of fairy tales or redemptions, but rather a journey through the corridors of a troubled past, unforeseen twists, and a fate sealed under the most cryptic of circumstances. Rose's story doesn't really start on the day of his demise. Rather, it's a culmination of a life lived on the edge, constantly flirting with danger. Born on April 17, 1943, Rose's life was marred with incidents that seemed to steer him towards an inevitable and dark path. His teenage years were a prelude to a life of infamy. At the age of 17, Rose was embroiled in an incident that resulted in the death of his father 
49-year-old Noel Albert Rose. The circumstances surrounding the death were sketchy. A shooting that Rose claimed was accidental, a claim contradicted by the evidence at his trial. Rose claimed his father handed him a 22 caliber rifle and told him to shoot at birds, but just as he fired, his father stepped in front of him and he accidentally shot him. After his release from the Iowa's men's reformatory at Anamosa, Rose's life didn't take a turn for the better. Instead, he dived deeper into a world that was far from ordinary. His mother's basement in Broadview, Illinois became his sanctuary, a place filled with items that painted a vivid picture of his mindset. Handcuffs, billy clubs, nightsticks, even propaganda from extremist groups. But it was his journey back to Iowa that set the stage for the final act of his life. On April 20th, 1978, just three days after his 35th birthday, Rose embarked on a trip with a purpose known only to him. He sought to reconnect with former prison acquaintances, a plan that might have seemed straightforward but was the exact opposite. It would appear that Rose's life of using people for personal gain was finally catching up with him. While the exact details of his final hours remain a mystery, what is known is that his journey to reconnect with past prison mates in Black Hawk County took a grim turn. The intention behind this meeting, possibly to form a criminal gang, was as misguided as it was ambitious. Rose, caught in a delusion of grandeur, failed to recognize the lethal undercurrents within the group he sought to lead. The discovery of his body, beaten before being executed and then discarded in a ditch in Benton County, was a tragic epilogue to his turbulent life. The motives behind his killing, much like many aspects of his life, remain a puzzle. Was it a case of betrayal, fear, or something else? The answers, it seems, are elusive. Right now, this is a cold case in Iowa, and most likely will always stay that way. Number 2. Shot in the Dark In Mystic, Iowa, 52-year-old Chuck Deutsch and his wife Liz worked together in the fields that they owned. They had a 700-acre plot of farmland with a house on it that they had owned for over a year but had only been living in for about a month. On the spring evening of April 28th of 2008, something happened that would shatter their lives forever. That fateful evening, as twilight deepened, Chuck was absorbed in his work on the computer in the den while Liz was relaxing while reading a book in the living room. It was a routine night until it wasn't. Around 9.45 p.m., the couple's dogs, Joe and Annie, were restlessly barking outside, breaking the night's calm. It was abnormal for them to go on for so long, and so Liz opened the front door and called for them. Annie bounded inside, but Joe lingered outside, an unusual behavior that barely registered as a warning sign at the moment, but the dog knew something that they didn't. Liz, on her way back to her book, saw Chuck looking out the back door before he headed back to the den. Minutes later, a gunshot pierced the quiet home. It sounds so foreign and alarming in their peaceful existence, Liz didn't know what it was at first. Instinctively, she headed towards the kitchen, expecting to find Chuck coming to investigate the noise, but 
The hallway and that kitchen remained empty. She called for him, and still no answer, so she headed towards the back where she found Chuck in the den, dead. A bullet from outside had come through the window, killing him, leaving Liz to grapple with the surreal and terrifying truth. The 911 call she made was a desperate plea for help. With law enforcement on their way, Liz found refuge in a cramped space between the washer and dryer, her mind undoubtedly racing with fear and confusion. The Appanoose County Sheriff, Gary Anderson, would later label the incident as a seemingly random act. The community rallied, offering a substantial reward for information leading to an arrest, a sum that would eventually grow to $40,000. Yet this monetary incentive remained unclaimed. The answers to Chuck's untimely death hanging in the air, unresolved. Years passed and the Dooch family struggled with the gaping wound left by Chuck's absence. His daughter, Sarah Richardson, shared her heartache in a letter expressing disbelief in the unhealed scars of the family. The question she voiced, why, echoed the sentiments of everyone who knew Chuck's tragic fate. The investigation involving both local and state authorities has spanned years, canvassing neighborhoods and interviewing countless individuals. Yet the truth behind the shooting of Chuck in the den of his quiet home that night remains an unsolved mystery to this day. Number 1. The Incident at Stone Creek Court Ashley Oakland, with her roots in the wholesome soils of Ames, Iowa, was the kind of person who didn't deserve the fate she got. Born on December 30th of 1983, in her early years in school she engaged in everything from sports to piano. Academically, she did very well at Ballard High School and beyond. Her life was really a montage of relentless pursuit and warm-heartedness. Dreams of working and physical therapy led her to Iowa State University, but fate had a different plan, steering her towards a flourishing career in real estate. In 2011, at the age of 27, Ashley was living in West Des Moines with her boyfriend Eric and their new puppy Indy. Her days were filled with traveling around the area to show houses to eager buyers. When she wasn't doing that, she liked to be involved with charities like the Bill Richart Clothes Closet and Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Iowa. But beneath this portrait of success and generosity, a dark shadow loomed. April 8th of 2011 had Ashley headed out to a development area of about 70 units called Stone Creek Court. She was there specifically inside Model Townhouse 558 for the day to show to potential buyers. The mundaneness of the day was then shattered when a Rotland Holmes employee, drawn by screams, rushed over to that unit and there he discovered a scene that would forever alter the course of many lives. Ashley lay on the floor bleeding and she had been shot. The subsequent rush to Iowa Methodist Medical Center was a race against time, but in the end, it was too late. The vibrant life that once illuminated so many others was extinguished, leaving behind a wake of grief and disbelief. The real estate community, stunned by the brutality of the incident, retreated into a cocoon of mourning and precaution. Mike Knapp, Iowa Realty's chief executive, 
grapple with the unfathomable by suspending operations and organizing grief counseling for shaken colleagues. The question of why echoed in the halls of the Lutheran Church of Hope during Ashley's celebration of life ceremony, where over 1,600 mourners gathered. The words of Reverend Mike Householder branding the act as evil resonated with a community grappling for understanding in the face of a senseless tragedy. The investigations, then, unfolded like a labyrinth with no exit. West Des Moines police, faced with over 600 leads and hundreds of names, found themselves entrenched in a mystery that seemed to only deepen with time. Tips poured in and talks of a black SUV, possibly a Cadillac Escalade, floated around, but they could never hone in on anyone specific. That day, somebody just decided to kill Ashley, and chances are, unless they got caught for something else, are still just roaming free. Bill Corwin, from a tech security company, noted a surge in business in the wake of the incident. The reward for information spiraled upwards, reaching an unprecedented $150,000, yet nothing has ever come from that. Her mother, Deb, clung to the belief that Ashley knew her assailant, while the brother, Josh, reflected on Ashley's inherent trust in people. Brittany, Ashley's sister, urged anyone with even the slightest information to come forward, clinging to hope and a sea of despair. And currently, the case is still open, and anyone with information should call 800-452-1111, and you can remain anonymous. So there were five odd and unsolved mysteries from Iowa. That one was suggested by one of our Patreon patrons, so thank you for that. I hope we highlighted some interesting cases for you. If you guys want additional content from us or want to help support the podcast, go check us out on Patreon. You can always try it for free to see if you like it. And over there, we tend to go into more of the darker content, so just a heads up. Thanks for tuning in today. We really appreciate it. I'll see you guys soon.